Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. If you uh, want to see some great comedians at the top of their game, then you should be heading along to Comedy Republic in Burke Street in the coming weeks. Comedy Republic is hosting the Replay Festival, which is uh, an opportunity to catch up with some of the shows you may have missed at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival this year. Joining me on the line is comedian Reese Nicholson, who is a co-owner of Comedy Republic. <laughs> Reese, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Yeah, I got a little slice of it. Who, who, who cares? Um, it is like an easier. I tell you what, it is easier to go and promote things that you you get like a little piece of at the end. I tell you what, that is a that is a much better situation to be in than other times I've had to promote things. Now. I spoke to your partner, uh, Kyron, I think it was last year, about opening Comedy Republic and the fact that you opened a dedicated comedy venue in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Well, we were meant to launch, literally we were meant to launch in um, March 2020. I don't know if you remember, uh, there was a a bit of a flu started going around back then. Um, but like it was that it was that early on because like we've been working on it for years and then it was it was like I think we meant to launch like it was Comedy Festival 2020 and it wasn't until we found out the Comedy Festival got cancelled like the uh, we were watching staff put drinks into fridges and we were like oh I, I don't know if this is going to happen but then like like all businesses we pivoted hard and we did online shows and that, some of them were great and some of them as it turns out stand up doesn't work on the internet necessarily um, but yeah so we're very happy to be. Like one of the original ideas, I feel like, when we were even putting the, the venue together, was like something like Replay Festival, like because at the end of Comedy Festival, you know, it's this kind of comedy-centric time. Everyone works really hard on their shows, and then the shows just kind of disappear, and there's really nowhere to do them again. And so that's kind of where Comedy Republic comes in. Which I love as an idea. It's the idea. The, the, the because there's so many great shows in the comedy festival every year. And even if you go hard, like I saw 40 different shows this year and that that was just the tip of the iceberg. So you always miss work. You always miss stuff. So having the opportunity, not only for audiences to catch up on shows, perhaps they heard word of mouth about after it had already closed, for example, but as you say, for comedians as well to go, right, we now have an encore season. We can, bring back this show that's been road-tested and tightened and is at the top of its game. Yeah, and it's that kind of... I think Melbourne has so many different types of venues, but no specific, like, oh, this is a comedy club of a specific size that, you know, is available to anyone. Like, it's it's just, like, about support... Just supporting the industry, Richard. We're just all about supporting the industry. Well, I'm very glad you are, because it's one of the things that works so beautifully about Comedy Republic is it is a dedicated venue designed for comedy. So not to knock any of the comedy uh, nights that are on at different pubs and venues around town, for example, but they're not necessarily set up for comedians to perform. So you can see people standing awkwardly at the back of the room or near the stage, knowing they have to go on soon, but there's there's not a dressing room for them or something like that. And the space no. itself just works for comedy because the comedian is flanked by people on three sides. I think, like, comedy is that kind of weird art form where it's either, like... It's it's not really thought of as an art form. Like I've, the amount of times I've been on stage in like pub venues and stuff, and like 
a, you know, a, a punter will walk across the stage to get to the bathrooms or something. You just don't really see that at the Malt House. Um, but the, so that was kind of the idea of, like, making... I mean, I've told this story a few times, but, like, we kind of first thought of the idea was when I was at one of these incredible pub shows. Yeah, I can't be clear about how, like, important they are to the industry. But it, 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 some, some of these rooms are also, like, pubs trying to make money, so they put a microphone in the corner. Like, they don't always work. But I once... I was at one of the really great ones, and I saw Judith Lucy standing up the back, like, near the toilets about to go on and try some new material. And I was just like, Judith Lucy has fought too hard and worked too hard to have to stand at the back near the toilets before she goes on. And so we were like, we need to build a place where she can have a nice dressing room and have a nice Riesling before she walks out. And you have built that place. Uh, and it's certainly during the comedy festival itself, it becomes um, my second lounge room. I go there after work. <laughs> I, ha- I have a, uh, a drink, possibly an espresso martini, because I know I'm going to see three mm-hmm. shows, for example. And then... Yeah, yeah. you go. Uh, and so and you're a basic bitch. We know that about you. <laughs> uh, it's very true. Now, in terms of the Replay Festival itself, how do you select the, the shows that get programmed for the festival? Is it just playing favourites? Is it um, recognising that a, a great show had its run cut short because of COVID, for example? Talk to us about the programming side of things. It's kind of a Hunger Games situation. Uh, we just kind of pit them all together. They're all given a net and a spear. And whoever's left at the end gets to do a run of shows. Um, no, the, I mean, look, it's very, I think that would work out too. No, it's kind of, it's a mixture of all things. I mean, yeah, there is definitely, for example, I'm doing my show. I don't know how I got in there. Um, but, you know, it is a mixture of some of just our favourite people. But, yeah, shows that, there were definitely shows that were cut short. One thing that I really love is we get to do kind of, not experimental shows, but shows like we're doing a, a it's called Best in Show, and it's just award winners and nominees on a showcase show. So even if you want to come to that as a kind of like tastemaker and then decide, but yeah, there's like favourites like Scout Boxall and Lloyd Langford and um, Annie and Lena, like just a really big mix. And then, you know, to Zoe Kumsma on the other end of the alphabet. Um, so you can kind of see up-and-comers doing their first or second shows as well as kind of really seasoned performers doing it. And, you know, it's a complete... We're very happy with the kind of diverse lineup we're able to provide at Comedy Republic, I feel like, without wanting to tune our own horns, but being able to provide a really taste for anyone um, and anything. And you mentioned your own show. Let's talk uh, about Reese, Reese, Reese for a moment, which won the uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Outstanding Show Award this year. So, golf claps to you. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It's wild. I still am, like, processing it, I think, a little bit. Like, it's kind of, I don't really know what to do now. It's what I've always wanted, you know, in a, in a secret kind of way. Like, every, every comedian in Australia that's part of the festival circuit, you know, dreams of it kind of happening, and then it happened, and now I'm like, well, what, do I, what do I do now? I guess I, guess I can get cancelled now. Well, hopefully not. Uh, I, I think you are taking the show to Edinburgh, so it would be a shame to be cancelled before that yeah. happens. No, no, OK, yeah, well, I'll at least get to September. Yeah. So as long as the tweets don't come out before September. So you're restaging your own show, uh, Reese, 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 on the th- from the 30th of June over until the 2nd of July. Having seen it at the forum, yeah. it'll be fascinating for me to, to see it again as an audience member, as a punter, in a different venue. The, 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 the forum upstairs is a big cavernous space. How do you adjust your own yeah. performance to shift from a room like that to a, a room like Comedy Republic? Well, I think it is going to be kind of interesting because the show was written uh, kind of... It, it's, it's 
this has been maybe my first tour where I've gotten to do kind of quite big rooms. I did the Emmore Theatre a, a couple of times in Sydney, and, and you, I'm used to being in kind of smaller, more intimate rooms. So, yeah, it'll be a, a fun experiment to see. I think I'll just have to cool my jets a little bit <laughs> as I walk out and just not... Because I'm a pretty... I can be a pretty shouty person when I want to be. I can, you know, use my body a lot on stage. And that's just happened. I don't, like, boot someone in the face in the front row accidentally when I'm doing a lunge. Uh, but it is, like... I think that's what's great about it, though, is I, I think comedy is... Predominantly should be a pretty intimate art form. I think you should be kind of close up with the audience and be able to kind of see the whites of their eyes. So, and you know, not to again shoot around horn, but I think Comedy Republic is pretty perfectly set up for that type of vibe to be able to like, you know, it feels intimate without feeling cramped and gross. And the chairs are comfortable, and yeah, it's just I'm pretty excited to do it there because I've not really done a full show in there before. Some of the other shows that have been programmed, uh, Geraldine Quinn's Broad, which I absolutely bloody adored. Geraldine as a performer at the top of her game at this kind of rock cabaret comedy show that, again, was nominated, certainly, for the most outstanding show in the festival, Uh, was in a a fairly small room at Trade. So to have the opportunity to bring this critically acclaimed show back, again, shows the importance, I think, is of Comedy Republic as a venue to to remind people of the breadth and range of comedy as well. Yeah, I mean, between Geraldine Quinn and uh, Greg Larson, there's a bit of space there, like <laughs> different types of performers, and being able to have them on the same kind of lineup is like a fun thing as well. Like Geraldine, I think she's, I mean, also between her and uh, Hickey, we're really, we're really plowing forward with Geraldine. So I think we have the highest, like, award winning an award-nominated Geraldine ratios in the world. Um, she, I think she's always been... Like, Geraldine's always been this person who's, like, everyone in the industry knows how incredible she is. And then coming out and has had so many incredible shows in a row, but be able to come out this, like, absolutely kicking is, like, I'm very excited to see it. I, I missed it during the comedy festival, so I'm very excited to see her. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Greg Larson. When I saw Greg uh, during the comedy festival, uh, he was the first show to reduce me to tears of laughter. So uh, I was just weeping because I was laughing so much. And as you say, a very different style of comedy. Then you've got Frankie McNair, who's the best newcomer winner, kind of uh, representing Relax Your Knees on the 14th of July. And again, that range from somebody like Frankie McNair through to somebody like Luke Heggie, you're kind of really embracing all that comedy has to offer. Yeah, and the, the Ben Russell and Maggie Luke Ultimate Hollywood Tours, which is... Again, just one of the more wild, wild things you're going to get to be able to see in kind of not even just in a festival, in anywhere. Like, and I think that's what we want to be able to be as well, be a home for these types of shows as well, these kind of wild, kind of fringy shows that, you know, you can't just kind of pop on anywhere in the middle of the year. They kind of often need a, a kind of festival around them. So, yeah, so being able to go and see all those types of things. If you've not been along to Comedy Republic before, this is your chance. The venue's located at 231 Burke Street, Melbourne. There's pretty much a tram stop just outside. uh, And details of the replay festival, which runs from the 25th of June until the 22nd of July. All the show dates and details and booking information. Just go to comedyrepublic.com.au. I absolutely urge you and... Highly recommend so many of the shows that have been programmed for Replay Festival this year. And I'm also looking up to some of those shows, such as Lloyd Langford's Dilf, that I did not get the chance to see in the festival. you got to come... And look, some shows are just even through. Come for a second look, you know? Just get... And, like, I should say, like, tickets are genuinely selling... Like, you know, come on by. Like, and I... Pre-book. Everyone should pre-book. 
And yeah, come on by. Absolutely do. Pre-book, see shows. If you did see a show that you loved at the festival, come back and see how it's evolved and changed, perhaps, since you saw it. Because that's the other thing that fascinates me about comedy as an art form is... The, the way shows evolve over a run, and uh, so the and then you go, oh, that's yeah. a really good joke. Why didn't I do that kind of at the start of the show? So all of those are uh, options to do as well. Comedy Republic, jump online, comedyrepublic.com.au, located at 231 Burke Street in the city, the Replay Festival at Comedy Republic, running from the 25th of June until the 22nd of July. Rhys Nicholson, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, mate. Have a good day. I am joined in the studio by Sarah Hallett, who's one of four artists showing as part of the group exhibition Common Thread at the Burundara Town Hall Gallery in Burwood Road, Hawthorne. Sarah, welcome to Triple R. Thanks so much for having me. Very great pleasure. Lovely to have you in. So you're working primarily with textiles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I work primarily with textiles, largely uh, embroidery, quilting, uh, crocheting. I recently, I did quite a bit of crocheting for this show in particular, um, which, you know, kind of was something that just kind of started happening in the lead up to the show as I was preparing works, um, I was doing a lot of crocheting, um, just other garments, you know, I was making clothes and things like that. Um, and just the more and more I did crocheting, the more I wanted to do something for the show specific. Yeah. Looking at, um, language and, and using crocheted letters, um, for, for the show. So all four artists in the show, yourself included, are working with materials that could be called domestic and which perhaps 20 or 30 years ago may have been sneered at by male critics as kind of, so we've seen, we've definitely seen what a a reclamation or a change there in terms of recognizing that these kind of materials and, and practices are just as valid and just as provocative and challenging as your blokey male painters swinging their dicks around while they splash paint on a canvas. <laughs> oh my gosh, so true. 100% agree with this. Um, yeah, definitely. I think that's something that we've seen in the last few years, 100%, um, this real shift to to handmade and to celebrating domestic materials, like you say, and elevating craft uh, from something that for some reason has historically always been considered to be lesser than than art like you say kind of you know big paintings lots of paint being splashed around um you know which I think historically because craft was connected to women's work it was considered women's work and it was something that um women did in you know in history to um prove their value and to show that they were had worth and um yeah to show their their value as as a future as a prospective wife you know so yeah it's really exciting to see in the last few years um definitely i think in the last two years since the pandemic um this real surge in people making stuff with easily found materials you know if they're they're quite cost effective often you can use recycled materials and that's something that we've seen in the show as well in common thread you know like a few of the artists myself included have used um, secondhand materials whether you know natalie codling's using vintage um, materials that were used in school settings you know she's using those to create beautiful abstracted works Um, and myself i use recycled materials to make my work as well so yeah it's exciting Let's talk a little bit more about that notion of using what is available and what is at hand, and particularly, yes, as you say, the pandemic forced that to happen. But I presume for you it, it wasn't something that you felt 
obliged or forced? This has been part of your practice for quite a while. Yeah, it has been part of my practice for quite a while um, for for a few reasons, like thinking about the environmental impact of making of art making. That's something that I've been super cognizant of for a while, um, and thinking about how you know, as an as an art as an object maker and as an art maker. Um, if what we produced ultimately, um, you know, what is that impact on the environment? So recycled materials for that reason are really important. But in terms of, you know, using locally found domestic materials, um, they're, they're, they're affordable and they're, they're readily available. And, um, you know, working on a small scale or, you know, as well, like a large scale as well can be really exciting, taking materials that are used um, for everyday uses and changing them into something, which is something that's been done in art history, you know, for a, a long, long time. People taking objects, you know, that aren't considered art materials and transforming them into art materials, um, into art objects, um, has been done for such a long time. But, um, yeah, it's exciting to transform um, materials that are used for clothing and, uh, you know, kind of children's toys and, and transforming those into art objects that can be of scale or, or quite small. There's a, a magic to it uh, yeah, in it terms really of transforming the everyday into something new. Yeah, 100%. Particularly, you know, like I find um, as, as a sewer as well, you know, I love taking fabric and, and seeing what can be done with a sheet of fabric. And I'm sure other sewers out there listening would feel the same, that there's this like a thrill when you've got a sheet of fabric and you can um, craft it into, into something completely new, whether it's a, a garment or, or, or a quilt or an art object. Um, yeah, it's an exciting thing to do. Now, as well as acknowledging that, yes, during the pandemic, a lot of people uh, in lockdown turned to the materials at hand, your work in this particular exhibition is also looking at other coping strategies that people use during the pandemic as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely art kind of craft making and, and making objects out of domestic materials um, was something that um, my f- like friends of mine started doing who had never touched kind of craft materials in his, in the past. And it was only during the pandemic that they picked up these things. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting, like that now they're turning to these things and I'm having conversations with them about something that I've done since I was a child, um, which I found super interesting. But it made me reflect on why I you know, pick up why I was making these objects as well. And, and I realized more and more that I was making them um, as, a, as a, a way of understanding and processing what was happening around me. Um, but also language. So language is part of my work and a big part of what's in the show. Um, you know, the idea that, you know, we say words and phrases that often have dual meanings, you know, like, you know, I, I have this bad habit when people ask me, how things are going or how something's going. I say, oh, it's fine, even though often it's not fine at all. And, you know, I, I th- was thinking about this. I was like, why Why do I say it? And I know I've had conversations with people who say, like, oh, my gosh, I do the same thing. It's like, well, why do we say these things? And I was thinking about it. I'm like, perhaps it's about saying it's fine in the hope, like kind of trying to manifest that it will be fine, that things will work out, you know? Um, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe it's a bit of that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> In terms of uh, text in your work uh, and the work that specifically is showing as part of Common Thread at the Town Hall Gallery uh, in Hawthorne, the phrase, this won't last forever, you've turned that into an artwork and that's something that was almost perhaps chanted as a Mm -hmm. mantra during lockdowns, for example, as we were hoping to return to a new normal. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, the phrase, this won't last forever, has just had been circling around in my head for quite a while. Um, But again, thinking about the dual meaning of that phrase, 
this won't last forever, you know, thinking about the pandemic, that it can't for it last forever. It will eventually end and things will change. Like as, you know, we're constantly evolving and constantly changing, you know, we're in this constant state of flux. But also thinking about when something really wonderful is happening uh, to take a moment and realise that it, that moment also won't last forever. So to cherish really lovely things that are happening and to take the time to be, I guess, be mindful and reflect on what wonderful things are happening as well as using it as a, you know, a way of reframing perhaps hardship that's going, that's happening. As we're talking, I'm looking at your Instagram page, oh, uh, yeah. which means I can specifically talk yeah. to it about some of the artworks because I haven't got out to see the exhibition yet. Um, one of the, the works uh, featuring uh, the embroidered word, yay, <laughs> yeah. uh, for example, and you've, not only is it embedded on a, on a, a a, a fabric background, but mm. that fabric background has been, looks like it's been manipulated to become the frame for the work as yeah. well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's that, um, that particular work you're talking about. Um, yeah, that's the hero image for the exhibition. And it's actually quite a small work. It's only 26 centimetres square. Um, so it's quite tiny compared to all the other work um, that I've got in the show. And even in comparison to the other artists, their works are a little bit bigger. Um, but that work, you know, like that, I've embroidered the word yay onto the work, onto um, a, what is a, qu- a quilt. Um, and that was the first quilt I ever made. Um, my nana is an amazing quilter. She makes quilts for the Royal Children's Hospital and she donates them. Um, and she always makes quilts for boys in her mind. You know, people have asked me like, oh, does she always use blue or something? I'm like, no, no, no. In her mind when she's making quilts, she's always making quilts for boys. And so uh, I've grown up seeing her quilts um, for as long as I can remember and so I just yeah wanted to kind of honor her and honor her legacy of quilt making by starting to make my own quilts as art objects um, whilst also bringing in this notion of word and language duality and and the word yay you know like it's another word I use a lot and both in a a genuine way but also in a sarcastic way as well right yeah we all go oh yay like you know we always use that so yeah but um yeah that 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 quilt um yeah that's that's a special one the idea of scale is something I wanted to unpack and explore a little bit as well as you say this Mm. is quite a small and intimate work being able to turn your your thoughts and energies kind of in inwards to make something like this rather than a, a big, bold, dramatic piece. In some way, a piece like this is almost more bold and dramatic because you've made a conscious choice to scale down, to focus your attention in. Yeah, yeah. And by me scaling down and focusing my attention in, I'm hoping that others will look at it and also focus their attention in as well. Um, because as you say, it is quite small. The The detail of, of yay and the, the embroidered flowers on that work are quite tiny. Like the actual embroidered sections only probably about four or five centimetres wide. So it is quite a small thing. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's around yeah, looking inward and and really bringing things in, but also bringing things out as well. So kind of in and out, um, yeah, as a way of yeah communicating that. Yeah, Sarah, tell us about just briefly, perhaps about some of the the other three artists who's uh, who are exhibiting alongside you in Common Thread. Yeah, so there's three really fantastic artists in this show as well, and all all of us um, in the show, we all are exploring um, and kind of comment, commenting on um, social change and, and the world around us through domestic materials in really unique ways. So you've got a wonderful artist, Natalie Codling, who 
it creates abstract artworks that reflect on the legacy of teachers and the legacy that teachers leave, you know, on us as students um, over the years. And she uses uh, vintage um, school objects, so they're like counting sticks. They're kind of they're a little bit before my time, but you know, when I was at school, we used units of measurement. You use these little like timber sticks as like counting things. Yeah. So yeah, Natalie's used those um, to create these really fantastic. Um, abstract artworks and each artwork is titled after a teacher which is really nice so it's almost like they're almost like portraits in a way yeah like abstract portraits yeah which is really beautiful um clara uh, batten smith is does a lot of embroidery and textile based work as well and she's looking at uh the history of craft but in a revolutionary sense and the role that craft has played in revolutions um, and in, in political change and things like that, which is really, you know, like something that I really um, align with as well and looking at how, you know, uh, something that is historically women's work can be, um, you know, and could, could be quite disempowering, um, you know, can be used in a way that's disruptive, which is really exciting. And Ricky Kurapu uh, is... Um, it was a, I was having a chat with him at the opening and he's like, oh, this is my first exhibition. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm a street artist. I don't put things in galleries. I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, so he makes really fantastic poems and he put poems up um, around Melbourne during the pandemic and during lockdowns and things like that and um, for people to, to happen upon. And there you know, he's got a selection of those poems on display um, where he's photographed different locations um, in and around Melbourne and then placed the poems, the text poems, over the top of the images. And it's they're a really beautiful collection of, of words, you know, some quite long, some quite short, but they're all very, um, yeah, they're very beautifully written. So, yeah, well worth looking up, um, Ricky, as well. I'm so glad I know who that artist is now because, yeah, uh, particularly in uh, in lockdowns on the walking 5K mm. radius from home, yes. finding little poems that had been taped up on the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That... a fascinating discovery. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That was probably Ricky. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> well, I was just looking at the uh, Town Hall Gallery um, Insta page and I, instantly I recognised the typewriter font that he yes. was using. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and also yeah. a lovely kind of note of connection. Um, you were speaking earlier about your grandmother and honouring honoring her legacy with quilting and then talking about Natalie's work, the legacy of teachers as well. There's a a lovely kind of note of kind of the way those works speak to each other perhaps and also speaking to the notion of legacy, the importance of carrying on a tradition, of honouring your forebears, of honouring a creative practice that has been handed down through generations. That's all kind of perhaps echoing through some of the work in the show. Yeah, that's definitely a connection um, between, I think, yeah, definitely between myself and Natalie and even I'd say um, Clara's work as well, you know, honouring those who have come before us um, who have left a legacy, where, however that legacy has been made, you know, through, you know, creative outputs, through making change um, and through the impact that people like teachers and, and grandparents have on our lives. You know, like it's such a, a beautiful thing to do to be able to honour someone and honour someone's memory um, through through art objects. The exhibition, Common Thread, is showing until the 2nd of July at the Town Hall Gallery, uh, located at 360 Burwood Road, Hawthorne. That's the Burundara Town Hall Gallery in Burwood Road, Hawthorne. It's a free exhibition. Uh, And, Sarah, before I let you go, I wanted to ask about where you see your practice going next. I believe you mentioned off air something about incorporating collage into your practice. Yeah, so I do a lot of collaging um, 
just as creative play, I guess. I'm a big I'm a big believer in creative play, and it's something I talk about a lot. Um, is the idea of creative play, and I do collages a lot as creative play. So I'm really excited to try uh, find different ways to bring collage into my textile based work. So that's something that I'm going to be working on um, over the next little while is bringing collage in and collab combining it with fabrics and embroidery and yeah looking at different ways to bring um, these different mediums together to create new work. The exhibition Common Thread features the work of four artists who create their their work with materials from a domestic setting. One of them is Sarah Hallett who's been my guest. Uh, Common Thread showing until the 2nd of July at Burundara Town Hall Gallery. 360 Burwood Road in Hawthorne. For more information, you can go to the City of Burundara website, burundara.vic.gov.au forward slash events forward slash common hyphen thread. And you'll find all the details and times the exhibition is open. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You may have noticed that winter festivals have become quite the rage around Australia. Uh, Rising, yes, which has finished recently, Dark Mofo and more. But each festival is different. Each festival has its own focus. Illuminate Adelaide, which is running from the 1st until the 31st of July, has a fascinating focus on art and technology, amongst other elements of its program. Joining us via the magic of Zoom to tell us a little bit more is the co-artistic director of Illuminate Adelaide, Lee Cumberledge. Lee, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Richard. Good to be with you. What was the seed of the idea for Illuminate Adelaide? Why did you kind of dream up this festival? And did you always, from uh, the the very first kind of musings and ponderings about it, want it to have its own kind of very specific and unique focus? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when Rachel and I came up with the concept for Illuminate Adelaide, we really wanted it to be, you know, unique to, uh, to, to where it takes place in Adelaide and, sort of reflect some of uh, what was happening here in the future tech and creative industries. Um, You know, we both returned to Adelaide from Melbourne and Sydney respectively, and we were really kind of blown away by what was happening here, particularly in things like, you know, the VFX industry and film industry, uh, but also in kind of energy development uh, and, you know, AI development and things like that. And we're starting to see, you know, some of these areas crossing over with artists experimenting and collaborating across you know, into the technological space with certain certain uh, organisations. So we, we really wanted to try and, you know, reflect that, bring that out into the public domain, show the kind of broader public what was happening, as well as, you know, then add to that a, a, an international program, I suppose, looked around the world for some of the best examples of, you know, the convergence of art and technology and, and bring them here for our audiences here in South Australia, but also for, for visitors as well. Uh- that kind of notion of visitors uh, for festivals is, I think, it reminds us of the key role that, that art plays in our lives. It's not just entertainment. Uh, it's a way to remind us about what matters in life. And I think for Melburnians, for example, after being uh, two years of lockdown, uh, during which time you couldn't go more than 5Ks from home, being able to travel 
great, important, valuable, uh, see friends and family, and, and but also to have experiences, to have enriching cultural experiences that you can't have kind of at home that you need to travel for. Talk to us about that aspect of the Illuminate Adelaide program. What will visitors to Illuminate Adelaide experience that they can't experience at any other festival in any other city? Well, I think firstly, you know, visitors will experience Adelaide at its best. You know, it's such a great festival city. Uh, a lot of the main festivals that happen gravitate around the summer months of the year. So Illumina Adelaide is really about, um, you know, I guess balancing uh, the rest of the year a little bit with, uh, with some of that activity. So we have a huge program of installations, uh, immersive experiences uh, and music as well across, uh, across the city. Uh, you know, a couple of the things that I think are unique to what we're doing here are these major installations or exhibitions. So we're bringing uh, back Moment Factory from Montreal to to do uh, light cycles, which takes over our botanic garden here in Adelaide with a you know seven um, different incredible installations and a, a sort of journey through um, you know the kind of convergence of nature, technology, uh, lighting, projection, lasers in an amazing installation. So that completely sold out last year, and our borders were closed, so interstate visitors didn't get a chance to come and see that. So we're we're very happy to be bringing that back, uh, but also uh, exhibitions like uh, Wisdom of AI Light by Ouch Studio from Istanbul, where, uh, you know, this company is really at the forefront of um, creating uh, immersive experiences that are led by artificial intelligence, essentially. So they take some incredibly large data sets from different collaborations they've had with the likes of NASA uh, or CERN, the, the subatomic uh, particle collider in Switzerland, uh, or indeed just collecting data of um, the Renaissance art um, period uh, and you know, several painters and thousands of paintings to kind of train that this AI to create um, a response to this data uh, in a visual sense. So we're building this huge uh, uh, projection pavilion. Uh, we're closing a road here in Adelaide um, in the East End for, to build this, uh, this gallery, essentially, which will have eight-metre-high walls and the projection, I think it's 25 enormous projectors in there that will project um, these moving visual artworks by out across the floor and up the walls so the audience will be completely immersed in the artwork. So ask a devil's advocate question for a moment. We've seen a lot of focus on uh, light in art in recent years. Are events like Light Cycles and City Lights, which is a range of free uh, projections and installations across Adelaide, um, are these effectively just gimmicks so that people can jump on Instagram, take a jazzy photo of themselves and you're utilising their uh, Instagram followers as some kind of kind of uh, free promotion for the festival, or is there more to it than that? Oh, of course, I would argue there's there's more to it than that. I mean, I think what we try to do with our program is draw in a really broad uh, demographic and create uh, effectively create new audiences for the arts. You know, we do uh, have a number of um, you know light lighting installations, but we also commission artists both locally and across the country. Um, you know, we're very passionate, Rachel and I, about uh, developing uh, opportunities for artists. So, you know, for example, uh, we've commissioned uh, Vincent Namajira to create a new work for a new projection work for the front of the Art Gallery of South Australia. Uh, and, um, you know, so we really do try to draw in the audience uh, with the program and then uh, show them, you know, um, some new experiences. And I guess 
that's the beauty of the program is that they can take a risk uh, artistically on us, uh, particularly in the free program, see things they wouldn't normally come out and see. And then hopefully that translates into, uh, you know, audiences and ticket sales for our more experimental programs like Unsound, for example, that really focuses on, you know, international experimental and electronic music. Uh, so, so I think, you know, there's a real crossover going on within our programs and that's certainly our kind of uh, philosophy going forward is to really build the audiences for the, for the arts in that way here in Adelaide. Adelaide is a UNESCO city of music, so the, the pairing uh, of uh, Illuminate Adelaide and Unsound feels like a, a very logical one. Talk to us about that aspect of the program, because I think a lot of Triple R listeners, that's going to resonate for them, the idea of seeing uh, provocative, challenging, experimental music that they can't experience anywhere else. Yeah, that's right. I've had a long association with Unsound um, since moving back to Adelaide, and I've produced uh, two standalone Unsound Adelaide events uh, and Illumina Adelaide's given us the opportunity to bring that event back. It's the only sort of satellite event of Unsound, which is, you know, based in Krakow in Poland, um, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere. And, you know, Matt Schultz and Gosha Pleaser, who put uh, the program together in Krakow, but also for us here in Adelaide, do an incredible job, I think, of identifying um, what's at the forefront of development in new music uh, across the planet. And, um, you know, with our focus on, art and music and technology and the, and the convergence of those things, it, it's a perfect alignment really for us. Uh, we're taking over the Dompolsky Centre here this time for the first time for Unsound Adelaide and it's a, a, a fantastic uh, music venue. It's the Polish club as well, so it's a really great fit and we're sort of transforming it into this kind of uh, incredible underground um, you know, music experience. And that happens on the 22nd and, and 23rd of, of July over that weekend. We also have a club program uh, inside a different venue in, in Light, on Light Square, which has these huge um, surround LED screens. So we, we have a, a fantastic club program in there as well on that weekend. And we do see a lot of people come from Melbourne and Sydney for this program. I think already, you know, 45% of our ticket sales for Unsound um, are from you know, Sydney and Melbourne uh, or, or from New South Wales and Victoria and you know, there are not that many tickets left, actually, so it's um, it's been selling really well. Now, one of the elements of Illuminate Adelaide, as we acknowledged earlier, is the fact that it's uh, it's STEAM rather than STEM. It's the arts meet science and technology and and more. Uh, how does that element of the program reflect in, for example, some of your talks and and facilitated events uh, such as? Because I know, for example, you've got I think a screenwriters, uh, a screen makers, I should say, not screenwriters, a screen makers conference uh, in conjunction with the festival, and then also a range of talks and ideas and conversations as well. The idea of getting creative brains together uh, from different fields kind of clearly is going to generate uh, stimulating ideas. Yeah, that's right. We, we do have a great talks program, you know, starting with Unsound. So that one element of the Unsound program is a, a talks uh, afternoon where some of those experimental, you know, musicians or music artists get to, um, get to dig into to their practice uh, and unpack that with them. Uh, we have uh, the Hawk Centre partnering with us to present Andrea Russell's uh, Society of Nanobiosensing. So she, she's an artist and a scientist who uh, we're presenting her big projection work, which um, essentially is a, a huge rendering of um, microscopic images, large, uh, high-resolution microscopic images of, of cancer cells um, 
that are, you know, sort of uh, in large format across a building and you get to navigate inside these images um, as the audience member using, using a kind of game controller. So we've got a talk by Andrea sort of talking about her process of scientific research and then artistic research, because of course the, the disciplines of science and art share that kind of research base in, in their practice. Um, and I think, you know, she's a really interesting artist. So we get to hear from her in one of the talks. Uh, and then we're doing another talk with the Adelaide University about the art of placemaking, which unpacks some of our free program and some of these installations uh, with, with some of the key artists from that program. So, uh, you know, that's a chance for us to talk about these questions of, you know, why light um, and, and why the public domain is such um, a furtive ground at the moment for, for this kind of work. So. So you're right, you know, it is an opportunity for our audiences and for other artists uh, and artists on our program to meet each other to discuss um, some of these, some of their practice and some of the issues they're facing. And particularly if some of the audiences are coming, are artists themselves, then that opportunity to, to go home with their brains fizzing with ideas because they've not only seen other artists' work, but they've had the chance to uh, unpack and explore how people think and how those kind of great creative synergies between different fields can really generate kind of fascinating ideas. Another of those synergies uh, is the, uh, the idea of, I don't know, um, bringing feminist discourse together with video art and uh, and sexism uh, and mashing those up together. The work, We Will Slam You With Our Wings, sounds particularly intriguing. Absolutely. Yeah, Joanna Dudley um, hails from Adelaide originally. She lives in Europe uh, now, but um, she's put this work together uh, over the last few years where it's really a, a kind of operatic video work across seven screens uh, it's, it, it includes um, the voices of young, uh, young female uh, vocalists that she's put together, together with Joanna, and it kind of uh, reimagines, um, you know, some of the misogynist uh, speeches throughout history into a kind, you know, into a kind of new sort of war cry, really, for a new age uh, of feminism. Um, it's a beautiful work. It'll be installed in the Mortlock Library wing uh, of the State Library of South Australia on North Terrace. Uh, so in a big old kind of, you know, Hogwarts-style building. Um, so, you know, juxtaposed against this kind of colonial uh, cultural institution. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's a really powerful work and it's fantastic to have it in our program. Illuminate Adelaide is running throughout July, from the 1st to the 31st of July, in and around Adelaide and with satellite events further afield in parts of regional South Australia as well. Uh, and you can find the full program at www.illuminateadelaide.com. Lee, I have to say one of the uh, attractions, one of the uh, appeals of Illuminate Adelaide for me is as somebody who's usually in Adelaide, as you said, in summer when I've had to literally run from venue to venue in 45 degree heat, the idea of coming to Adelaide in winter to experience uh, um, a more chill side of it, literally and figuratively, is certainly an attraction. Yeah, that's right. I, I agree with you completely. And, I'm, you know, we, uh, you will see Adelaide at the same uh, kind of level of, of, of activity as you will in the summer months during the Adelaide Festival and Fringe. We try to do all of that under the one banner at Illuminate Adelaide. It's such a walkable city too. All the venues are so close together and the accommodation is right in the centre of town. So it has that advantage of being the, the smaller city, which is so great for festivals like, like what we've created here. And, um, you know, we're just really excited to see 
hopefully yourself and, and people like you come across to experience it. Illuminate Adelaide, on from the 1st to the 31st of July. Go to www.illuminateadelaide.com. For details, start planning your flights or driving across and booking your accommodation and diving into the festival. I've been chatting with its co-artistic director, Lee Cumberledge. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 